Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. We're coming to the end now of Movement and Multiplication, the series that we've been doing as a church for the last 10 weeks or so. And we've been going on a journey as a church together with Paul through um, the book of Acts, from Acts 16 through to Acts 19. And um, it's been an exciting journey. We've um, experienced the Holy Spirit. We've um, learned lots of different things. And now we're ending up at the end of uh, this section in Acts 19. Uh, But I'm sure another year we will pick that up again. So we are... In Ephesus still. Um, Yes. Uh, I don't know where he came from. So it's the riot in Ephesus. And um, as you can see, um, they've really let the place go. Uh, Now, Ephesus is one of the places that I've nearly visited. There's lots of places in the world that I've visited. And there's even more that I've nearly visited. And Ephesus is one of the places I've nearly visited. I've come close to it. I've been in the Mediterranean. I nearly did a day trip. I didn't do it. I regret it. It's a wonderful place. Um, And um, a lot of it is is still well preserved. And you can walk through the streets. And that's the library. Um, No overdue books there, I hope. But... uh, It's an amazing place. Ephesus was one of the four um, biggest cities in the ancient world. just want to give you this little bit of context because it helps you understand the story and what Paul went through. One of the four biggest cities in the ancient world with um, Alexandria, there was Rome and Antioch, and there was Ephesus. And there were 300,000 people in that city. So it was a big place on the coast of Turkey now and um, so that ships could come into the harbour and it was the centre of three main trade routes that would converge into that town. So there was people coming from all over into Ephesus. And had a theatre there you can go into today and it's meant to seat about 25,000 people. So, you know, it's a little bit like the O2, but without a top on and half of it. There we go. (laughs) So, uh, 25,000 people. I wanted to show you that because it helps bring home uh, this little bit of the story as we read the story. Um, But because Ephesus was at this place um, with all these different roads converging, it was on uh, like the, the, the center between the... East and the West, it was like where East and West met. And because of that, there was a little bit of a mash-up of religions going on in that place. So they worshipped Artemis. Um, That was the Greek name of this god. It was the huntress god. The Romans called the god Diana. And um, this is a coin with a picture of the representation of the goddess there with some deer. Diana of the Ephesians. 
But because it was a, a mashup of religions between the East and the West, the people in Ephesus had combined this um, belief in Artemis that the Greeks had with some sort of mother goddess ideas and, and a fertility god. And they had their own sort of religion that they built up around it. And they were really proud of this. And they built an incredible temple. And this temple of Artemis, although it was rebuilt several times, it was one of the, the seven original wonders of the world with columns that were 60 feet tall. The people were really proud of it. So what a place for Paul to come into to preach um, when he came into that town with this presence of this temple, these 300,000 people who uh, had let the place go, not because it was in ruins, but because they'd let idolatry into their lives. Ephesus was a place full of idolatry. They'd let the place go. What a brave man Paul was to go and speak in that place. And last week we learned how he preached in the synagogue, then he preached in the halls of Tyrannus um, for two years or more. And during that time, not only was he preaching about the kingdom of God and sharing his heart of Jesus Christ to the people, but he was performing many signs and wonders and miracles and things were happening in Ephesus over that time. Over that time. So now we get led into the story. Acts 19. So we're going to look at this story about the riot. And then we're going to have a bird's eye view, then home in on one character and see where he leads us. So first of all, Acts 19:23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is what Christians were referred to. They were following the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. This guy, he built tiny little silver niches where he would put um, a representation of the goddess in and he would sell it to the people, anybody who'd want it, and he was making loads of money. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Wow, it's interesting that he says people in all of Asia. But Paul's only been in one place for two to three years. That's because it seems like all of Asia have been traveling into Ephesus through these different major trade routes. And so instead of Paul going out to the people in Asia, the people in Asia have come and to Paul and his influence those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think that um, we as Christians want to go to other lands to be missionaries, but we are blessed because we live in London. It seems like the whole world has come to us in London. Even in this church, we've got 40 nationalities. In Bromley, there's lots of different nationalities. We can influence the world from Bromley. Would you believe it? Amen. So where were we? And there is danger, he says, and I've underlined danger. Just remember that word. Danger, not only in this trade, 
of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Then it goes on. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them Gaius, Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. So it says the city was filled with confusion, and they went into the theatre. We know the theatre can hold 25,000 people. Imagine that theatre filled with these angry mobs. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of him sent him and uh, urging him not to venture into the theatre. Paul was either brave or foolhardy to go amongst 25,000 people. I mean, I like to come in front of a friendly audience, <laughs> which I assume that you are. <laughs> but uh, thought of going in front of 25,000 people hostile against you, wouldn't like that. Now some cried one thing, some cried another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. In some translations it says they don't know why they were there. I never realised that verse before. Isn't it weird to think of 25,000 people who don't know why they're there? (laughs) I know why you're here this morning. You're here this morning because God has drawn you to this place this morning. You're here with a purpose. But there's lots of people out in Bromley who don't really know why they're there. They don't know why they're there. And that's sad. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make a defence of the crowd. But when they recognised that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours shouting the same thing over and over again. Crazy, crazy time in that place. 25,000 people. I'm sure it was an atmosphere but it was a pretty bad atmosphere. Then the story goes on. I won't read this bit here, but the town clerk gets alarmed. And the town clerk was just not like some old secretary. town clerk was responsible that law and order took place. And um, we can assume that there was 25,000 people there, otherwise he wouldn't have come out to try and sort things out. If there's only a couple of people, he would have probably stayed at home. He came out because he wanted to sort things out. He didn't want the Romans to find out there was trouble in Ephesus and come and um, be heavy-handed in his town. So uh, he came and quietened everybody down at last. But for hours, they chanted. Hours, they chanted. Now, when I read the Bible, I think sometimes it's good to home in on certain words and different thoughts and things, but sometimes it's good to just um, read a passage of Scripture and and try and understand what does that passage of Scripture do to you? What is is like the the bird's eye view? If I look down at that Scripture 
and I just see that whole passage. What does it make me think about? So first of all, I'm going to share you my bird's eye view of this story. My bird's eye view. I think that this shows that the gospel of the kingdom of God, and that's what Paul was preaching for those two to three years, that gospel of the kingdom, it had a religious and a cultural and an economic impact in Ephesus. You can imagine that this time for two or so years, as Paul is, is preaching and teaching people, people are listening to what he's saying and they're changing, they're converting, they're joining the way, they're becoming Christians. And as they do so, they change their belief and they start to change who they worship, they change their religion. But then it has a cultural impact because it changes what those people's priorities are, how they live their lives, what they think is important and what they do. And that in turn has an economic aspect. It changes because it changes what they spend their money on. If they fritch their money away on little silver shrines maybe or not and they spend their money worshipping God and I'm sure helping the poor etc because this is the thing when you become a Christian there's a change that takes place in your life you know we call it conversion and it means that your whole life is changed your whole life is converted from one thing to something else and it's your whole life sometimes we want to compartmentalize different parts of our life sometimes we want to put in the belief aspect or the worship aspect and separate that from the way we act or the way we spend our money but when we are changed and converted as Christians it affects our whole life and when it affects our whole life it can then impact society <coughs> And that is what, in a small way, I think, was happening in Ephesus. Christianity was impacting society in such a way that it affected the business of the silversmith. And that is what we are called to do as Christians. Because Christianity is not simply a belief system. It's a lifestyle of following Jesus. It's following the way. Because Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And when we follow him with changed hearts and changed minds, society can change also. And in a small way, I think that's what was happening in Ephesus. I've been reading, as one does, um, about lots of 18th and 19th century evangelicals. In my spare time, <laughs> I like to have a good time. Nothing on TV. So I've been, <laughs> and I've been reading about Wilberforce and Shaftesbury and thinking about the impact that they made in society after they were converted and changed as Christians. Wilberforce, who dedicated his entire life to the abolishment of slavery. Slavery was finally finished when... Uh, he died just before he died. He devoted his whole life. And Shaftesbury, who was um, in the political arena, um, he helped women 
down mines and and um, he opened up all sorts of different situations and things and he passed lots of different laws through parliament to help the poor and the marginalised. He dedicated most of his political life and most of the reforms that took place over, say, a 40-year period were down to what he did. He changed society because he had a changed heart. Amen. But now, let's home in on one character in the story and see where this leads us. So we want to look at this silversmith called Demetrius. See where he can take us. Now I think it's interesting that he was living in the place in Ephesus while Paul was preaching all this time and all these miracles were happening. I don't know whether he saw it or maybe he saw those things and maybe he chose to ignore those things. Maybe his eyes were blinded to the truth. I don't know. But I think... He was more interested in money than anything else. And what does he do? He becomes a manipulator and he starts pulling the strings of the crowd. He starts manipulating the crowds by saying that, you know, we've been losing money. And he uses a word, he says danger. Remember I underlined it, danger. He tries to scare the people, danger. Then he tries to put a little religious spin around it as well because he knows everybody loves Artemis in the town. So he manipulates. What is manipulation? I looked this up in a dictionary. It's controlling someone or something to your own advantage, often unfairly or dishonestly. Controlling to your own advantage. That's different than trying to influence other people for their good in a fair and honest way. But this is controlling for your own advantage. And this is what Demetrius was doing. He was trying to pull the strings of the people in the town, control them to his own advantage, because he was worried about his money. This shows you that one person with a little mischief can cause a big problem. (laughs) He was one person and he stirred up 25,000 people in that town. You can't believe that. You can't believe it. But how did he do it? He was using his words. The Bible says the tongue is like a fire. It can cause a big blaze. And that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words are very powerful, especially when you mix those words with fear. And he was trying to scare the people. He was giving them fear, fear of losing a gain or fear of gaining a loss. He scared them, he manipulated them, and they responded. You know, there's two sides of manipulation. You've got the manipulator and the manipulatee, if that's such a word. It should be if it isn't. (laughs) 
And we as Christians have got a responsibility not to be manipulators or manipulatees. We shouldn't let anybody be pulling our strings like that. Which leads me to this question. Who is pulling your strings? Do you know somebody like Demetrius who is sowing words of fear in your life? And you're listening to them. And so you're pulling your strings. There could be various people who might be doing that. Sometimes you get people in churches that want to um, manipulate and sow division in their words. We should be a community of love together. And we shouldn't be manipulating anybody else to division and we should be standing in our guard against people that would want to manipulate or pull our strings. Don't let anybody pull your string to speak nastily about somebody else or stir something else up. Sometimes you could be manipulated even by preachers, sadly, who are looking for numbers or personal wealth. And so I think sometimes they misbirth Christians because they give people um, uh, a wrong idea of what becoming a Christian is all about. And maybe they entice people in by, their, by their, um, their words, saying if you come to Christ, you won't have any troubles and you'll come rich for one thing. That sounds very intriguing. That's not necessarily the message of the gospel. You might get more troubles and you might be asked to give it all away. (laughs) I even um, heard a story about uh, an experiment in the 1960s where this man was asked to to bring, uh, he was doing some research and he brought loads of people together. And um, this experiment, he told them it was about memory and they had to read off a list of things to this other subject. And if the other subject didn't um, recite all the different words back in the correct way, he was meant to give them an electric shock. And um, to start with, it started off with a small electric shock, but then if they continued making mistakes, they, turned, they were told to turn up the dial and give them a bigger electric shock until it went to 450 volts, which had a little label on it saying, danger, severe. But this person who was the experimenter was telling um, this volunteer, no, you, you do it, you do it, you do it. And over 60% of the volunteers in this experiment turned up the dial to danger even when the person was complaining about the electric shock because people can be manipulated into doing things because um, they can. Some people don't have in their minds the capacity to say no or to realise what's going on. This experiment showed something of that. Another way is peer pressure. Now, often you think about peer pressure as being in schools. And I read um, some statistics about 
10% of teenagers surveyed said they were um, and not been influenced by peer pressure. So that was 90% thought they had been. And um, they said that if they saw some, one of their friends picking on someone else, they would be likely to pick on that person as well. But that's peer pressure in a school. And that's big because everybody wants to feel loved and feel accepted. But peer pressure can happen other places as well. Peer pressure can happen in your workplace. And you could have things that are pulling your strings in your workplace that you shouldn't have. When my dad was a car electrician, it was the accepted practice to put on all the people's bills this extra little line that said sundries. Didn't say what sundries were, <laughs> but it was an extra bit of money on the bill to the person, but it didn't exist. It was a way that the company made money by abusing the people that went to that garage. But my dad refused to do that because he was a Christian. You have to resist the prayer pressure in those organisations. What about society? Society expects you to behave in a certain way. But God's kingdom and his values are different than the world's. And as Christians, we should be countercultural. That was the whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a cultural, cultural message, countercultural message. It shows as Christians we are different. Don't let society pull your strings and manipulate you. Lastly, even ourselves. Sometimes we can pull our own strings in directions we don't want to go. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. And as Christians, we're all called to be leaders, but not necessarily leaders up front or leaders in a house group. We're called to be leaders of ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we aren't pulled by one direction or another direction, by our appetites or anything. Maybe you don't go to a prayer meeting because you're too tired. Don't let that tiredness pull your strings. In the Psalms, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And always when we bless his holy name, sometimes we need to lead ourselves and tell ourselves to bless the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, it says that we should take every thought captive to obey Christ. As Christians, sometimes we have to lead ourselves and take those thoughts captive. So we're not pulled by all these different thoughts and feelings and different things. A church was established in Ephesus and Paul wrote to that church in the letter of the Ephesians. This is a helpful passage, Ephesians 4, 11 to 24, and I've paraphrased it in my Graham language. You can look it up afterwards and see if you agree with me. 
What does Paul say? Paul says, don't be immature anymore, Ephesians. Don't be gullible and easily manipulated. Don't have an unreliable mind. Put off the old you. Allow your thinking to be changed and put on a new you, created after the likeness of God. Because Paul wants the people to have their strings cut if they're manipulated in a wrong way. And what do we do to cut our strings? First of all, we have to acknowledge that we've got some bad strings there. That's a good step. Next one is be careful who you listen to because it's those words of fear that can manipulate you in life. Be wise who you spend your time with. I don't want to hang out with Demetrius. Grow in maturity of Christ and be determined to lead self with the help of the Holy Spirit so your strings can be cut and you can be free to serve the Lord in the way that he intended. And so that we also can go into society and help change it with the power of God going with us as God intends. Amen. Amen. Paul's given us a great legacy in the book of Acts. Let us go out and do likewise and follow in his footsteps. Amen.